Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson back with another episode of the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rock star business into a UX machine and phenomenal, phenomenal guest. I was so excited to interview David today, and I'm, I'm pumped for you guys to hear what we talked about. Uh, David's the co-author of the book Scale, which I recommend all the time. It's literally one of my top five recommended books of all time. Uh, he co-wrote it with Jeff Hoffman, which you might know from Priceline. Uh, but David's been coaching and, and has been running a scaled Code business coaching organization called Maui Mastermind for years and years. And so he lives and breathes these concepts and you can hear it come out and the way that he speaks and how precise and succinct he is in his phrasing. Uh, but the, here are the few things that I think you'll really take away and will make a big impact in your business once you get a chance to listen to the conversation. Number one is how information overload has literally changed the game in coaching and consulting. Number two is how to use simple tools and limited concepts to get people to actually take action and actually get results, which is what drives the growth of any coaching consulting business. If people don't take action, they don't get results, they don't keep paying, they don't spread you know, word of mouth, or they, we don't get referrals, it, it really sabotages the growth of our entire business. So our ability to distill and simplify and strip away everything that isn't essential is at the beating heart of our ability to be successful in coaching and consulting work. And finally, David covers towards the end of the conversation, this very simple but brilliant weekly rhythm that frees up anywhere from four to six, maybe even 10 to 12 hours of time in his schedule to focus on the magic 1%, the highest revenue generating activities that actually produces around 50% of the measurable results in his business. And the same applies for all of us. And I learned this concept from scale uh, years ago and have implemented it to a degree in my business. Uh, and it's really, really helped. And I think it'll really help you and give you something solid that you can take away from this interview and this conversation to implement in your business right away. And it can make an immediate impact. As David says, you can literally start to feel it inside of two weeks, the difference that this makes in your business. So enjoy David Finkel, co-author of Scale. I'm super excited to bring this conversation to you. I know you're going to get a ton of value out of it uh, and I encourage you definitely to go get the book to follow up on it. Uh, and then keep track of me on Instagram at UX Machine, where we talk about some of these same concepts. All right. Enjoy the conversation with David Finkel. David, I just wanted to uh, to welcome you to the show real quick and and thank you so much for kind of taking your time out of your day. I know you've got uh, some family in town. And so I just wanted to say, first of all, that I appreciate you being here. Absolutely, Matt. I'm really looking forward to our time. Thanks so much. And uh, so for those that are, that are kind of in my world, they know I, I recommend the book Scale a Lot is certainly not the only book that you've written. Uh, and so I'd actually love to take a second just to dive into kind of the uh, the key idea of the book Build a Business, Not a Job, which people might be less familiar with. Uh, so give people kind of an idea of what that, what's the, what's the main thrust of that book? Yeah, absolutely. So with Build a Business, Not a Job, I mean, really the, the challenge, we see it all the time, right? When I come across, a, whether it be a client or a business owner, they, they started off with a company, they loved it. They were passionate about it. They loved being in charge of it. And here they are. They wake up one morning, five years later, seven years later, nine years later, and they no longer love the business. They feel it's stressful. They're working all the time. They're, you know, they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. 
And, and more than just the work, it just feels like everything's on their shoulders. If they were to walk away from the business for a week or for a month, the business would come to a grinding halt. And that pressure over and over again is difficult for them. So the crux of that book is, how do you grow a company and make it independent of you? How do you build a business, not just own a job? How do you make it owner independent? And that's the thrust of the book. Yeah, and and when you look at, and you mentioned this both um, both in your books and, and even right on, right on the front page of the website, the fear of you know, that most of us have, I would say, in, in kind of the coaching, consulting, creative worlds is that in order to grow, it also automatically means that we have to sacrifice our lives, whether that's the time freedom that we have. Sometimes that means we sacrifice a bit of the location freedom and we have to show up to an office every day to kind of hold our people accountable because that's the only way we know how to do it. There's a lot of ways that, that that fear kind of manifests. But I'm curious, like in in the coaching work that you do, where you actually get to see people kind of hit that turning point where they let go of that limiting belief, what are some of the, what are some of the things that happen to them that kind of, uh, that actually generates that turning point so that that realization sinks in, that that fear actually is just a limiting belief? That is a great question. You know, I'll mention it with three, three quick points here. So point number one, really the first turning point is the decision that they're going to build it independent of themselves. And, mm-hmm. and I don't even look at that as a belief, as a decision so much. It's a decision that, that I say, look, I am going to do this. And I get people all the time who run professional services firms or coaching practices, and they say, David, I, I can see how the plumber can do it. I can see how even the physician can do it. I can see how the, the manufacturer could do it, but I can't. I'm just selling my expertise. Mm-hmm. And I smile and, and just say, gosh, you know, you know today um, our coaching staff you know, probably work with 50, 60, 70 clients today, and you want to guess how many of those I coached. Mm-hmm. And so the first part is that that decision that you're going to do it. Second part from there is t- to recognize that this is a spectrum. This is a uh, not an on-off switch. This is a, a dimmer that gets brighter and brighter. So you're going to make the changes small but consistent. And so, for example, one of the questions I would often tell someone to ask themselves, look at your business right now. Write out a, a brainstorm list of all the places where there are owner dependencies, the places that when you go on vacation, these are the things that you feel like you either have to personally get done before you leave or that you're still doing while away on that vacation. The things that no one else can do but you, you think. I get a list. There might be initially 20, 30 things that are on there. I use a little bit of reality check, and there's probably a dozen that are really mission critical, whether mm-hmm. it be things like you know doing accounts payable or there's a, a particular client that just needs you or... Um, there's a, a marketing firm that you're working with that really needs you to be the one to manage the relationship currently. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I just say each quarter, ask the question, what's the one thing I can do this quarter that would most reduce the reliance of my business on me? And I'll give a quick example for it, even just personally. Mm-hmm. So I did this about three years ago, two years ago, one year ago. One of our core values is we make sure we eat our own cooking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, today we have a controller who does most of our financial side, but still twice a month internally for internal team members, I do a final review um, and do a final ACH approval. It takes me probably 15 minutes twice a month. And I thought, well, I don't want to let that go. And then someone else challenged me on that and said, David, if you got hurt, how do we get paid? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, my first comment was a tongue-in-cheek back. Well, if I'm hurt, no, and all kidding aside, I think you're right. <laughs> so another one of my team members, our, our, our VP of operations, Teresa, 
I said, Teresa, you know, this quarter we're going to train you to be the second set of eyes. So we have good financial mm-hmm. controls. Mm-hmm. You know, our controller, Marilyn, sets up the ACH. Someone second other than there has to have a password to go in there and approve to make the money go out. Mm-hmm. So there's a good two parties in the flow. But that would be an example. The one thing I could have done that quarter was to, to make sure that we built that and train Teresa how to do it. Simple. Okay. So every yeah. quarter I want to do that same question. And the final thing I would say to somebody is, it's growing your muscle that you're not going to get someone to do it either as well as you are going to do it or the same way that you will. And notice yeah. I made that an or. Yep. Matt, what I noticed for me, and I look at a lot of our, our, our clients who are talented, bright individuals, and what they think is because they would do it different, of course, we think our ideas are the right way, the better way. And so I've learned to get more comfortable with some things don't have to be done the same way that I would do it. Matter of fact, if someone else can do that in their way and still get a great result, I've got to grow my comfort with letting them do that um, as long as mm-hmm. they achieve the, the final outcome that I need, their, their process for it, if they're comfortable with it and it's getting the result that I need, even if it's not the way I would go about it, I've got to be comfortable on occasions to grow my ability to let them do it their way. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the revelations of, uh, and I don't know if you've run run across this book or appreciated it, um, the book "Managing the Professional Services Firm" by David Maester. Do you remember that one? I do. Yeah, phenomenal book. And and one of the, if I remember right, it was either that one or True Professionalism. I think it was that one. Uh, anyway, he but he points out that the big revelation of hiring somebody that's a, what we would consider a junior staff uh, is the idea that we have to get okay with them not doing it as well as we do. Uh, his point in that was that that's, that may only be even a temporary condition is if, if you hire the right junior staff and they are well-trained, well-prepared, and they're the right fit for that role, they're going to be more excited to do it anyway. They're going to bring more passion and enthusiasm and they may end up outpacing us and do an even better job at that function than we had because they actually have enthusiasm for it that we as the business owner have probably lost along the way, which that was a really big interesting key distinction for me. I don't know if you ran across that uh, in that book, but I think that's, that is one way that we can look at it to help us break free of that limiting belief, if that makes sense. It, it sure does. And I'll add two, two ideas piggyback to that. So one is um, the very fact, though, that most of us are stretched so thin. Yes, if you only had one thing to do, you could probably do it better than that junior <laughs> staff member. But the reality yeah. is, <laughs> and I point this out to clients all the time, and you're laughing because you know exactly where I'm heading here. Oh, yeah. We're not doing better than that junior staff member because it's getting all of their best attention where it might get a small fraction of our best attention. Mm-hmm. And then my, my second comment, and this comes to anybody who who is really trying to replicate expert knowledge. So one of the sections and scale that I would point them to. There's a section there we talk about developing an expert system, which you know we've been a huge believer on this idea of how do I systematize a company? And I can't systematize everything. That's a that's yeah. a fantasy. But if I can get a good skeleton that I've got 50, 60, 70 percent of a of the business systematized, a good person can come in there with that structure and be successful. So we talk about this idea of an expert system, which is the one or two or three places in a business that really um, that system is so core to what we do, it's got to be great. And so, for example, I'll, I'll use our coaching practice as one. How we deliver our, our business coaching program would be our expert system. That's one place. The second would be in our sales process. Mm-hmm. So how is it that we get really good business people to come in and coach our way? 70% our structured process, mm-hmm. 30% their own magic with what they do. 
And so this idea that if, if, if I push myself to start to systematize how I produce my expertise, number one, it, it challenges me to create more value because I start to package and productize my expertise, which not only makes it more scalable, more replicatable, but it also lets me at the same time uh, increase the value received by my client. You know, rather than saying, oh, there's five questions you must ask, I turn it into a concrete tool. Matter of fact, the next version, version 2.0, might have a video that walks them through it. Version 3.0 might be a better version of the tool that goes with it, shorter video with it. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of challenging myself to how can I capture not every, every, every nuance of it, but the core of my methodology pushes me to make the methodology better. And it allows me to train a junior staff member coming up through this faster and, and to be able to replicate the results without me doing all the work. And, and that's mm. a big insight that it's something that you had said there so that over time they can get a better result than I could have originally. And it's funny because this may be the answer to the, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, but I'll, I'll throw the question at you anyway and see if this, uh, if this resonates. So one of the things that I find that coaches and consultants struggle with is the idea that sometimes in order to get the client to take the action that we would like, that we know will get them re- the results, to at least in our mind requires them to have the level some level of understanding of the abstract concepts behind it. Like we would, we would like clients, especially coaching clients to understand why we're asking them to do certain things. And it, it makes me wonder if the, the development of tools that you get from kind of systematizing your own business, does that affect the way that you coach in, in the same way to where rather than trying to get someone to do, you know, rather than trying to get someone to invest their time in reading a book when reading isn't their strength, would you rather just put a tool in their hands that gives them something to do that changes the way they're thinking rather than trying to get them to absorb a video or a book to try to get them to change their thinking? Fantastic question that you bring up. 20 years ago, Everything I did with a client was me, and it was idiosyncratic, and I, I customized everything. And here I am, you know, two decades later, and I, I've learned exactly what you said. Different people are going to be auditory, video for some people. Some people are going to need to be much more kinesthetic and doing. Mm-hmm. And regardless of which, what I've found is we're, we're probably on version 21 or version 22 of our coaching process at this point. Every subsequent generation becomes simpler. And what we do is we take away all the non-essential parts. And so going back to this for, for someone who's listening here, um, when you look at it that way, you ask yourself, what's the core that I would want them to do again and again to get this result? And then we ask, what could I take away from this so that they could still, what's the minimum they would need to get the result? Because the one change I've seen, and I'm sure anyone who's listening to this who runs a coaching practice or a consulting practice or any type of professional services firm seems the same thing which is clients want less to get more. They, they don't want the long version of things. They don't want the 45-minute mm-hmm. the video. What they really want is the six-minute video through a tool that takes them 12 minutes to get the same result. And that's hard. It's more work on our part. I mean, we have to work so much harder to be more uh, astute and succinct. Yet, when we look at this as six versions, each version we can take a little bit, of, get a little bit more refined. What we're left with is the much cleaner, shorter version that gets the faster result. It's more elegant, and that's what clients really pay more dollars for, which is why over time, you know, people listening should be able to charge more for what they do. We used to think we'd have to change the model for give them lots of information because they're paying by the pound. You know, they want, (laughs) 20 years ago, it was audio tapes and videotapes. 
Yeah. Nowadays, people don't want that. They save me the time. I'm, I'm paying you to give me and point me directly to what works so I don't have to go through all that trial and error and that mass myself. Um, and I think that's important to consider. No, I think you're hundred percent right. You know, we've, it's interesting over the last, you know, 20 years, essentially since the rise of the internet, we've gone from information scarcity where one of the only ways to get access to information on how to scale or grow your business was through coaching to now the information is all out there. It's the application and the execution that people are paying for. And so that makes total sense. And I think that's one thing that I would say anyone who's tried to create like a group coaching program, anyone that's tried to systematize their knowledge into a course runs up against that is that we probably still have way too much of that mentality of they're buying this information by the pound. So I'm going to throw everything I can into it. Uh, The problem is that when it gets down and you only figure this out when you actually coach people. So you know exactly what I mean. The more information you throw at people, the less action they take. And that's the whole point of it is to get them to take action. Yeah. Years ago, 22 years ago, I had a mentor shared with me, he called it the paradox of knowledge. And it was brilliant. (laughs) Basically drew a dot on a board and Matty said, where you see the edge of this black dot on the board touching the white space of the paper, said, this is everything that I know is a black dot, and the white page is everything that I don't know. And of course, the edge of that circle is all the places where I know that I don't know. And he said, you learn more, and you think the best way out of this knowledge uh, paradox is you learn more. Of course, I expand the surface. I expand the size of that dot of what I know, and now there's more surface area of what I know that I don't know. So my, my way out of that is I learn more. Well, the more I learn, the more I learn that I don't know, and now I feel stuck. And his comment was, and it was brilliant, the way out of the paradox of knowledge is not by learning more. The way out is to by learning the key lesson, which is you know enough to get started, and you'll figure out the rest as you go. And so when I'm coaching a client, I do much direct one-to-one, but we really hammer this with all of our coaching staff. Don't give them three or four ideas. Narrow it to one or two that they're actually going to use. And heaven forbid, I've seen coaches who want to give them 17 ideas. Don't give me 17 ideas. What are you, You're hurting me. Give yeah. me one or two that matter today. And then in a week or two weeks or three weeks, give me one or two more. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is that that's the that's what they end up really paying coaches for is to do the hard mental, especially if you're doing it in the moment, if you're coaching in the moment, it's, it's hard mental thought and it's emotionally uh, draining and taxing. For, uh, for the wheels to turn in the coach's head to do all the math that it takes to come up with the 17 ideas and then distill it down into the one or two things you want the client to walk away from that they'll actually act on. But for the, for the coaches that are really good at it, that, that really is the value that they bring is that they're the ones that do the sorting process before the session ends, if that makes sense. It sure does. And I, I, I tell you, because we've had to cull through who we actually work with as our coaching staff. And one of the things is there are a lot of people out there that do coaching that really love being able to add value to people's lives. And, and, and that's a great purpose, mm-hmm. but their method for doing that is by giving more. And what we recognize now in our world, at least, is the way we give most value is by helping them get a result. Yeah. And less is more. And that's a theme that we really hammer hard. Less mm-hmm. is more. That's really good. Well, let's uh, there, let's shift gears a little bit to kind of uh, a, a, there's a couple of questions based on your your very initial thing, which we didn't get a chance to really dive into because you mentioned some concepts that uh, that are that are from the book and they're from your coaching uh, that I think if people didn't understand this already going in, they would probably gloss over. But there's a couple of things that you mentioned: um, 90 days or, or quarterly, the concept of doing things by quarters. 
And this is something that's really helped me personally, and it's how I feel like it's helped the business. Uh, but thinking of things in terms of 90-day cycles. So what, why do you think, why do you recommend that? How did you guys come across it? And why do you think that just works better for people to wrap their brains around everything being, you know, everything occurring in kind of like a quarterly sprint? That's a great question. So if someone's reading through scale, they're going to notice a section on how to create a one-page quarterly business plan for themselves. Mm -hmm. And what we've learned is, again, applying less is more. If you would have gone backwards in time 20 years ago, we gave people action plans that were 20 pages long, for heaven's sake. They, <laughs> they didn't have time to do this. They were overwhelmed. Yeah. And what we learned was if they have three focus areas where they really nail down that by the end of this quarter, here's the concrete criteria of success for knowing that we were good and successful in this area and, and give a, a medium level of detail for their action steps and milestones and who does what by when. And, and they'll see in the book that the format that we use, that it's a really useful one. We've done this now with thousands of quarterly action plans we've written or helped clients do at this point. And that narrows the focus down into so they can take it in at one point. So if you were to come into my office, you would see on my whiteboard, I have on a, you know, our, our app that clients use prints up the one page app or the mm -hmm. one page plan. We have one for our company and then each of our department leaders, sales and marketing and operations and coaching. They each have their one-page plan that feeds up to the other. And it makes it so easy to get everyone on the same page. And at the same time, it also makes it much easier to manage your people. Because mm -hmm. when I go talk with you know Joe and I say, hey, Joe, how is it going? You said that by this date, you're going to have this result. Where do we stand? It gives me uh, an outline for that. And it lowers the burden for me to manage well and for him to know how to be successful. It defines the playing field. And so the last kind of comment I'll make here, and we, we talk about this in scale, this balance between flexibility and momentum. You know, flexibility mm -hmm. says, well, I've got to adjust. I've got to take advantage of opportunity in the marketplace. Yep. Momentum says, hey, this is working. Give me some resources so I can get some, some, <laughs> some mojo behind this. I can get some, some power behind this. And, yeah. and 90 days is great. Most business owners that are chasing um, you know, bright, shiny objects left and right, they're like a squirrel. But 90 days is enough for their staff to feel like they can get some momentum behind it. And at the same time, there's enough ability to reevaluate and change that it works. And uh, I'll give one last kind of takeaway here, which if they're working with a client or even for their own business, please, the first few times that you do this, be less ambitious. Choose one focus area, two focus areas. Um, only after you start building some of these muscles to, to be able to stay, uh, stay focused, less is more. The the one idea that you implement well is worth more than the seven projects you start and leave half completed. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. And it, hard to keep in mind, especially for hard charging driven entrepreneurs that want to take over the world every day. Uh, but be less ambitious is <laughs> very, very good advice because it's the stuff that we actually act on that makes a difference. Um, so that that's kind of the, the, the rhythmic structure that you use with the team. But I want to bring it down really to just the very, very personal level as we close things down on the conversation. And there's a great part in scale, and it's, it's buried a couple hundred pages in, so I'm afraid people haven't really gotten to it. But it's some of the best material I've seen that touches on how you structure like a rhythm to your week. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if you coached with uh, with Dan Sullivan, but he's the only other one that I've really heard delve into this with the concept of you know really theming or giving a thematic structure to the days of your week, which you've clearly done. So I would love for you to explain kind of the concept of focus days and push days and just how that's actually showing up in your life right now. Absolutely. And it's a one that makes probably the largest difference for somebody really quickly, less than, less than two weeks, they're going to have a, a, an impact with that. 
And the idea comes back to this, which is if, if you look at it, most of our lives are slivered to death, five minutes here, 15 minutes there. Oh, check an email. Oh, I got a feed that gives me an alert for my, you know, whatever I'm dealing with on, uh, on my project management tool or whether it be Asana or, or, or Basecamp or whatever I'm using, or maybe it's a Slack channel and I'm interrupted. I'm fracturing my day. And so to create more value, I need blocks of time. I need to reclaim. I don't need to reclaim 20, 50 hours a week, but just even two hours, six hours, eight hours. And so I tell people, start with half a day. Pick one day a week to be your focus day. For example, make it Tuesday. And say, when I get in the office Tuesday from 8.30 to, to noon, I'm going to take a three and a half hour block, and that's going to be my focus block for the week. During that time, I'm going to do only my high value creating work. That could be a conversation with a key joint venture partner. That can be a key staff meeting and planning session. That could be me um, doing a, a sales video that I need to do, whatever that might look like. In my life, that shows up as writing books, that shows up as working with key joint venture partners, strategic planning sessions with my leadership team. Those are examples for me, but for different mm -hmm. people, it might be different functions. Yeah. And then I can do all the rest of my week the same way that I do that. Every other day, we call that a push day. I just am pushing things one step further. I do one more thing on all my push days. I ask myself, when, when am I at my best? Am I a morning person, an afternoon person? So for me, I've got kids. So morning time, I'm fresh. At, at later in the afternoon, I get fried a little bit. <laughs> so I set aside the first hour, hour and a half of every push day. And I call that my prime time. And I say, okay, I'm not going to schedule low value work. I actually make recurring appointments. I use Outlook. You could use Google or whatever you want to for, for the calendar. A recurring appointment every single uh, week that happens that for my one hour block on my push days. And I got a, maybe a two, three hour block once a week on my focus day. All I'm changing is five or six hours over the entire week. That's all I'm changing. Mm -hmm. But that's magic. And so two things that that does. First of all, imagine you go to a buffet. How do I make sure I don't eat too much crap? I make sure my first plate of food is the most nutritious version. So for me, that might be a salad. For someone else, that might be a salad plus uh, a protein. And then even if I do later on eat the cakes and the ice creams and the pastries that they have, I'll at least have got my nutrition earlier. Mm -hmm. Same way, I can do the rest of my week the same as long as I've got myself this four, five, six-hour blocks based out over three or four days. I'm doing great. And then the second kind of point I would make is I decide the day before what am I going to do in that block? And I set the stage. So if I know tomorrow is a writing day, I make sure when my computer, the email program's off, I make sure my folder for whatever project I'm writing, it's right there on my desk. So when I come in the next morning, everything there environmentally cues me to do that. Mm. And if someone really struggles for their focus time, you know, make sure their phone's off. If they have got their, their eye watch, make sure that's off their wrist, you know, make sure that the computer's off and have if you can't turn off the world for 30, you know, for, for three, four times a week for an hour to two or three hours, there's something fundamentally off about your priorities because all of us can afford to do that. All of us can. Yeah. In fact, if we actually want to grow the business, we can't afford not to. Um, and, and that's, you mentioned just that magic time. Uh, and that's one of the big kind of key concepts of that whole section on time mastery and scale, which is really good just to really drill, drill down to do the 80, 20 kind of analysis. And I think you drilled it down essentially three levels deep in the sense that, you know, 4% ends up delivering you about 60% of the results. And that magic 1% is actually accountable for about half of all the results that we generate. That 1%, I mean, what is one is, um, what's an hour a day? Is that 4% of our day? Yeah, something like that. So yeah, so in, in getting five to six hours a week, if we can plow that into our A activities, we can push the business forward. And the rest of the time we can just kind of... Um, 
not not drift as Napoleon Hill might say, but uh, but just do the do what we're normally accustomed to doing. And even if all we did was just get five to six hours a week that we're doing nothing but A and B activities, it has a have a massive effect on the bottom line. Yeah, and I'm not seeing this company after company that have grown at 50, 70, 100 percent compounded annual returns for five years, ten years in a row. And the way they've done that is they've made this part of the culture for the company that the key people in the company get consistently four, six, eight hours. And, and you're not going to get more. I mean, even in my own company, I get probably 12 to 15 hours a week of focus time of my best time. Mm-hmm. And that's an extraordinary week. Mm-hmm. All you really need is four, six, eight hours and, of that week to do your best stuff in the right environment when you're fresh in blocks of time and you can create magic with that. Yeah, love it. Well, I want to honor your time. Uh, so as much as I have about a thousand other questions on everything from span of <laughs> control to working with marketing firms and stuff like that, that being some of your highest value work. But anyway, I want to give people a kind of a, a chance to, to get to know you better. Where, where should they go to connect with you and learn more about Maui Mastermind? I really appreciate that. So one, certainly they can go to any bookseller or, or online Amazon and get scale. Mm-hmm. I wrote that with a good friend of mine. His name is Jeff Hoffman. And Jeff, most people would know him from his Priceline.com days. He was one of the founding team members. And mm-hmm. I'd been after him for years to write the book, and he wouldn't. So I finally said, hey, I'll write it with you. And so that's a great <laughs> book. If they want to, they can get over to our website. And on that site, if I were to do any one thing on that site, and I, I, something sparked for them today, the, right now for a limited time, we have a copy of Build a Business, Not a Job. If you don't mind the ebook version, whether it be Kindle or iBook or even PDF, they can actually get a copy of that right there on MauiMastermind.com. If they want the hardcover of the paperback, you know, Amazon or a bookstore is where they're going to need to go. But that would be the best place for them to get an introduction. And if I had to choose one or the other, I still would tell you Scales is the best book I've ever written. So that would be the one place that I would point them to, especially if they want the nitty gritty details. You know, that, that Jeff and I, I think, hit a, hit a home run on that book. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.